On this episode, you will learn budgeting for uneven cash flows. We'll dive into what is a fixed versus a variable expense. I'll go over two ways, two additional ways to budget that are rarely discussed. And finally, what can you remove from your emergency fund to build it as large as possible? As always, if this episode helped you or brings you value, please do me a favor and share it with a friend. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Hope you had an awesome new year. Um, almost a happy new year again, but I guess I guess we're a full weekend, so we can drop that. But I I know this is the time of year that, you know, like I've done a, the last couple podcasts were one on goal setting. That was at the end of last year, the end of 2022, how to set your business goals. And then the, the one last week was about tax strategies that require the full year of planning. So while we're on the theme of kicking the year off, I want to get into a little bit more on the personal finance side because most people listening are entrepreneurs, fitness entrepreneurs. It's my biggest demographic. But one of the problems all of us entrepreneurs have, or at least risk having, are uneven cash flows. And most of us probably understand what that is, but I'll I'll briefly explain it. It's basically, you know, compared to your friends or colleagues or spouse who has a job where they're like, you're going to make $10,000 a month. That's your salary. And that's either good or bad. But from a, a budgeting perspective or s- organizing how much you can spend when you're a salaried employee, it's pretty straightforward because that's the amount of money that's going to be coming in. So when you add up all your expenses and your income and things like that, it's a little more predictable of like what you can afford and what you can't. When And one of the advantages there is if you make a, I don't want to say mistake, but you know, like budgeting gets a bad name because people feel it's so rigid. Like, oh, I mean, I'm sticking to a tight budget. I consider it more like, well, let's use a fitness example because the majority of you listening will resonate with this. If you understand what your maintenance calories are, let's just say they're 2,500. So if you go out and it's someone's wedding and you, you're drinking, you're eating all the food, you're having a great time. And let's say that that day is 5,000 calories. Is that the end of the world? Absolutely not. In fact, I'm sure most of you listening, you encourage your clients to not be so dramatic, I guess, with their food intake in that they're it can cause a lot of guilt and shame if you're like, oh, I was supposed to do 2,500, but I did 5,000 at a wedding and it can go on a, a downward spiral. But I feel like you would come in and say, well, we know what we need to do to get back on track. Like you just 
we said we're going to do 2,500. Let's get back to 2,500 next month or, you know, next tomorrow or something like in the budgeting world, it's more monthly, but in that scenario, you'd be like, let's get back on track to 2,500 or because you have the, the guardrails in place where you know, like, Hey, you should be around 2,500. Maybe it was a, a vacation, a cruise or whatever. And they've actually put on some weight. You know, the parameters say, like, well, 2,500 was maintenance. So let's drop you to 2000 for a little while to recover. Budgeting is the same concept. Like you have an idea of what your spending should be and you do your best. We're going to talk about some, some strategies today, but you do your best to get down to a framework where you have an idea of what your spending is. So let's use 10,000 as a round number. If you figure out that you spend about $10,000 or you should spend about $10,000 based on like your, your saving and investing goals, if something comes up, if something breaks or you have something planned and you're like, oh, I'm probably going to, you know, blow a few thousand dollars. I'm going to Vegas, you know, whatever it is, you just like with eating, you don't need to come back and say, oh, my God, I I was supposed to spend ten thousand dollars a month. I spent fourteen thousand this month. Like, oh, it's over. My financial goals are screwed. Um, I have no plan, whatever it is. But having those guardrails in place with a budget or spending plan, you know, like people call it spending plans. And I do this too, just because we're budgeting has a bad name. Like I, I think of it as budgeting. So I often slip and call it budgeting, but budgeting, spending, planning, people, people call it different things just because of the tabooness of the word budgeting. People think it's strict, but using that same calorie to money example, if you know you're supposed to be spending $10,000 a month and that will help you stay on track to your financial goals that you articulated and you had that Vegas weekend and that month you hit 14,000, there's a couple of things you can do. Like you could take the, the fitness um, maintenance calorie type of approach and just say, well, now I got to go back to 10,000. Or you could say next month, I really, I really hurt myself. So for the next five months, I have to only spend 9,000. And so then I'll get back on, or four months, sorry. Four months, I need to spend 9,000 to equal that 4,000. Or conversely, you know, this just like with fitness, maybe, and this is what we're gonna dive into today, you would maybe spend 9,000 for the four months up to that event. So you have 4,000 sitting there ready to go. And those are the things that, that I really wanna emphasize before we start going into tactics is it's very, like fitness and finance are very similar. One of the reasons I love working with your industry is because there's so many parallels like fitness, eat less than you burn and finance, spend less than you earn. So I'm hoping that some of these are resonating because I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of us in, well, actually you guys, I don't know if I don't know if I can consider myself in the fitness industry, even though I support it. Um, you're very good at letting yourself not feel guilty with your food. Um, cheat meals and things like that, even if they're intentional cheat meals, things like that. And I think the, the reason is because you have the confidence to know, I know how to undo all these quote unquote mistakes. And in finance, I, I think gets, it could feel overwhelming because it's a little bit different, but the concepts are the same. So the main thing that, that throws us off, and this is where I was going before I went on that little tangent about the difference between budgeting and calorie, uh, calorie ranges or calorie targets, I should say, is that one of the challenges that we run into as entrepreneurs is that our income can be very uneven. 
So our cash flow is coming out of the business. Like you could have a $10,000 month, then a $50,000 month, then zero, then 30. So it potentially can feel harder considering that inside of your personal life, your expenses can also be volatile. If you're listening to this, as this comes out, you might be acutely feeling that stress in that your December credit card bill because of Christmas or whichever holiday you celebrate and maybe New Year's having something planned. And obviously New Year's is a usually more expensive night if you go to the exact same place at the exact same time and think the previous Saturday. So it's very likely that your December credit card statement that you're looking at now in January is significantly higher than what you were paying off in November or October. And that can cause a lot of stress because just to go back to this, the $10,000 example, if you're used to October, 10,000, November, 10,000, December with the holidays and New Year's, 16,000. Like that could really stress you out because come following year, uh, month, January, when your 10,000 is there, maybe if you haven't planned ahead, that $6,000 is going to be a problem and maybe gets left on the credit card. And now you're in high interest. And depending on how many times something like that comes up in your life, it can snowball pretty quickly. So let's talk about how we can reduce those uneven cash flows or predict them and account for them. So let's talk about that. So there's basically two types of expenses. And this might sound very basic, but I want to start with the basics and then explain the system that I recommend to my, well, I do my, for myself and then I recommend to clients. Side note for anyone listening, I'm currently doing 75 hard. So this will not be that long of an episode because I'm almost towards my gallon of water today. It's 8.30 my time as I'm recording this, 8.30 at night. So I think this bottle of water puts me at like a 110 ounces for the day, not including my protein shakes and pre-workout. Anyway, not that that was financial related, but I think that's why this episode might be shorter because I probably have to go to the bathroom in like 10 minutes. But all right, so fixed expenses. Those are those are exactly what they sound like. And even though uh, they're basically an expense that costs the same each month. So it's going to be like what you can think of, like your cell phone, your car payment, your mortgage or your rent, your gym membership, all the things that are predictable. Now, let me go into the variable expenses and I'll, I'll give a caveat. Variable expenses are expenses that change. Um, groceries. Uh, I'm, I'm like drawing a blank all of a sudden, but uh, going out to restaurants, meals and entertainment, all the things like takeout, Ubers, like, you know, you might take one Uber or five in a month, like um, certain things with your children, if, if that's applicable. Uh, there might be an activity that's this month, but not next month. Tuition may not be 12 months of the year. So there's all sorts of things that are going to vary uh, what you spend on your medical, what you spend on your coffee, things like that. Those are all variable expenses. So I will say, at least in my system, you're going to see certain things that become gray areas. For example, if you look up like, hey, what's the best way to budget? You might see, oh, I, this says that groceries are a fixed expense. And 
I get the logic there because they might be articulating a fixed expense being something that cannot be cut out. And obviously groceries, whether you're doing well financially or not, you're going to need to eat. And um, so that's where, and when I explain the system in more depth, you might see some of, at least the way I do it. Again, I'm not saying this is the, the right way or the only way, but I think this is really helpful. Um, it's really helpful for my clients. Um, but if you go and Google the best way to do it, you're going to find other other ways to do it as well. So pick the one that's like the same with dieting, like pick the one that you can sustain and it makes sense to you and you can do it each month consistently. Um, but I, I think this way is really intuitive after you get the hang of it. But the one thing I will say, cause in this approach, I call utilities a fixed expense, even though that will vary to some extent. Like I do try to keep my fixed costs that definition pretty rigid in that like it is something that doesn't change in price. And I call that fixed, you know, like your cable bill, your internet bill, your insurance policies that you have, like your life insurance, things like that. We know what those are each year. Like they might go up each year, like your insurance company, like your medical insurance company might be like, Oh, well you're a thousand a month. Then in 2024, maybe it's a thousand fifty or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but that's still a fixed expense. So this is how I like to even out this cash flow, because I think the biggest problem, like we articulated a few minutes ago, is when things change on us. Again, once we've established there's there's fixed costs and variable costs. Let's let's assume that's that's a pretty simple concept. I want to then break it up one more time. So instead of having two buckets, which I think a lot of budgeting strategies use two buckets, I like to divide that into four buckets. And depending on the person, it could maybe be three instead of four. But let me explain the four. And then in your head, if you want to implement this, you can decide if you want three buckets or four buckets. So we have our fixed and our variable. But what messes people up is that some of those fixed costs, for example, are not monthly. Let's use property taxes as an example. Let's say on your home, they only charge you, I'm just keeping it hypothetically, once a year at $10,000, let's say. So if you have a budget that's mostly based on monthly expenses, you might not easily predict that because a lot of times they would, you go back through and the way you do a lot of this budgeting is like you look at your last bank statement and you look at your last credit card statement and all those things and you start like you want to go back like 90 days that's going to grab most of your expenses but you want to make sure you're looking at those big maybe i should i call them annual when i'm doing these for clients but the way we're talking we they know it's not just annual <clears throat> it's non-monthly so it could be a quarterly payment to a car insurance or a biannual insurance for your car where they're like oh you could pay monthly but we'll give you a discount if you pay it twice a year or annually. So that might be what your approach is. So that's why the first fixed and variable are monthly. So we have our monthly fixed, monthly variable. Then we have two more buckets that are both each, sorry, not both in each, that the other two buckets are also broken into fixed and variable. So that way, like we had our fixed cost of property taxes but that's non-monthly, that's annual. 
again, it couldn't doesn't have to be annual, but I'm using that term so that because I think people, it's very easy for people to think in terms of monthly versus annually. Same thing with the variable costs. The variable costs might be a vacation coming up, and that's non-monthly. Maybe you take three big vacations a year, and each one of those costs you $5,000. So you want to include that in your monthly budget, or at least save for it. So let's break down how that could kind of look. I'm just going to keep it very simple in that let's say that your monthly fixed costs are $4,000 and your monthly variable costs are $4,000. So that would mean, you know, your car payment, like let's talk and fix again, your car payment, your cell phone, your utilities, your gym memberships, your HOA fees, all the, all that stuff. Like if you have a cleaning service, that's a hundred dollars every month or $200, that's all in there. That's $4,000 that you know, you're going to spend each month. Boom. That's 4,000. Then there's variable. And this is, again, it's going to vary, but if you look at the last 90 days or 180 days and you say, okay, on average, when I look at my Ubers, my groceries, my dinner bills, my bar tabs, um, hanging out with friends, going to the movies, whatever, that comes to about $4,000 a month. Cool. Actually, let's say it comes to like 3,700 or something. Cause we're always going to want it on the variable side have extra cushion because again, we know these are varying. Like your Amazon bill might be 600 this month, 500 in last month, 700 in a month before. So we're going to be like, all right, we're, we're probably spending like six, 700 bucks. Throw that as part of the 4,000. So now this is where it gets a little bit, I don't say tricky. That's not the, the right word. It's this is where the planning comes in the annual fixed. So again, like maybe we talked about before, the car insurance, the mortgage, uh, the sorry, the property taxes, things like that. That we know, we know these are obligations. When it comes to the annual, let's I consider fixed more more than fixed obligations. So, in this side, let's say there's a twelve thousand dollars a year. Again, it doesn't matter necessarily when those hit. But we know when we add them all up, we go back through the last year, for example, and picked out all the non-monthly expenses that could be big or small. But let's say they all add up to 12000 just because we want the math to be simple. How could you save for a $12,000 expense? Well, $1,000 a month. So now we're at $9,000 a month that we know we need to be put into each bucket. So now we go to our at our annual variable, or if the non-monthly variable resonates better with you, that's fine. But in this category, variable is the case, like, cause these would be things like travel, um, birthdays, Christmas, um, maybe you have a wedding coming up, like gifting, things like that. These would also be annual. Again, obviously we just came off of Christmas, which is why I wanted to do this episode now is because this might be top of mind for people looking at their credit card statement be like, crap, I don't want this distress next year too. What do I need to do? So these annual variable, or when it comes to the annual, it's, I would almost call it non obligations. Cause if something happened to you financially, you would cancel the, I mean, if you could, I mean, obviously I, I get this, there's like some peer pressure 
to go on that vacation with friends or make sure you give your, your significant other, like a really nice birthday or Christmas gift. Like even if you're having financial hardship, um, but they're technically not obligations. So those would be variable. So let's just say hypothetically, that also is $12,000 a month, uh, sorry, $12,000 a year. That would be another $1,000 a month that you would spend, sorry, save knowing that maybe towards the end of the year, that's when all your expenses really ramp up. Maybe you take a vacation with the family for Christmas. Like that would be a big non-monthly expense that you would have all year to account for by dropping $1,000 into the account each month. And then come Christmas of 2023, which is 12 months away from now, you would have $12,000 sitting in that bank account that the following January, when that big credit card bill hits, you got the money. It's no problem. Um, and more importantly, it answers the question, what you do with your money, because the challenge a lot of entrepreneurs run into is you have that good month, let's say that $50,000 month, and you pay all your normal expenses, no problem, and then you start spending the difference. Not realizing that technically you have a bill of $12,000 that you just hasn't hit yet, but it's coming, especially if they're oblig in the obligations category. So it will train you that even when you have a good month that you put that money aside because you're prepaying future financial obligations. And so that's going to help you when, even if you have a slower month, because if maybe you're, you're ahead of the game, like you're going to get comfortable with this so that you could put a little bit more away on your good months, knowing that, you know, it gives me a little cushion if next month, especially if you want, if you know, you just had a really good month and, you know, maybe sales are going to slow down because you just had a really good month or you ran a promo, whatever it is, this gives you a really good way to forecast the next few months because you've already done the homework that if you just said in this an example, 4,000, 4,000, 1,000, 1,000, or 10,000 a month, if you have a really good month and you stress that, and eh, maybe next month won't be as good because I'll be spending all my time doing like fulfillment and taking care of my clients. I may not have more revenue coming in the next couple of months because of that. This can help you bridge that or be smart with your money because you're like, well, this actually isn't spending money because I know that over the next three months, $30,000 is going to go out the door for my personal living expenses. So even though I just got paid 50K and obviously we're not even ex ex including the tax conversation, but in that scenario, if you made that 50K, really 30K is already accounted for. If you know you're going to spend the next 90 days taking care of your clients and you may not have another big month the previous month, or I'm sorry, the subsequent month. So hopefully that that is helpful. So let me back up and say it again. There's the fixed costs and the variable costs. And a lot of times people lump them into monthly. What, I'm, what I do for myself and for my clients and what I'm recommending you consider is break that one more time. So you have your monthly fixed, your monthly variable, and then you can do annual variable and annual fixed. Now, I said in the beginning, some people might feel that the annual is a big gray area and the obligations and the variable costs are similar. So in that scenario, I'm not looking to com complicate your life. 
if you feel like most of your fixed costs and your variable costs are kind of similar, like you can't really differentiate them. Maybe they're, they're something related to, maybe they're like, they feel like an obligation. Let, let's be honest, like a birthday for a significant other, that, that might feel like an obligation. So you're like, Pat, is that variable? Is that fixed? Um, is that an obligation or, you know, whatever. So you could just lump those together and then you would have basically an, a non-monthly or annual bucket that in that scenario, we're dropping $2,000 into it because we know at the end of the year, $24,000 covers your non-monthly obligations and the things that you consider obligations, even if they may not quote unquote be obligations, like going on vacations with like your friends or colleagues or whatever it is, it may feel like an obligation. So you're like, Pat, for me, that's a fixed cost because that's an obligation. Cool. We don't, have, we don't have to have four buckets, but I want to emphasize the value in having a non-monthly bucket because it's those things that really hurt people is that when you're sitting there chugging along and you're used to like <clears throat> in this example, you're like, hey, every month I spend 4,000 here and 4,000 here. So every month I spend 8,000. Cool. Chug along, 8,000, 8,000, 8,000. Then that month hits where you have a bunch of things do like your car insurance and maybe your HOA, whatever it is. And all of a sudden that month you had $12,000 worth of bills instead of the eight that could really hurt you, especially if that happens to run into a month that wasn't one of your better months. Then you start potentially putting that on a credit card or rating the savings or whatever the case may be. So we're trying to avoid that. So how do I do that? Or how do I do this logistically after you've done so what I'm recommending is after you've figured out what these numbers are, I do recommend that you have like, this is similar like the profit first system, that you have a bank account dedicated to each one of these. And I would go in there and nickname it, label it, whatever your online portal says, like for you, like, to, uh, like if you want to label it, or if they call it labeling or editing the nickname, whatever it is. And you would go in and in your monthly fixed, I would put fixed $4,000, like variable or monthly variable, whatever. Um, and then $4,000. Now I would recommend those two monthly accounts. They can be checking accounts because you're just basically putting one month worth of money into it. So the fact that if you're making virtually nothing on it, that's, that's okay. Cause you're not going to really be putting more than that month's amount of money into it. Anyway, the two annual accounts or the one annual account, depending on what you feel a uh, preference towards, I would recommend that being a savings account because again, depending on where your expenses actually get triggered, you might be putting like, again, let's use a hypothetical I started with. Let's say the bulk of your expenses come at the end of the year with the holidays and travel and all that. And maybe your, your taxes on your property are due in November or December, or whatever. Let's just say that hypothetically. In that scenario, you'll be dropping one or $2,000 each month into it for the entire year. So you would probably want that to be a savings account and get the highest possible yield you can while still maintaining liquidity. And I'm not saying put it in a CD or anything. I still want you to maintain liquidity. Um, side note, I think some of the online only banks are really nice for this because typically their fees are nothing and their interest rates are traditionally a little bit higher because they don't have the overhead of a normal brick and mortar bank. Um, 
But do your own homework on that. There's a few that I recommend. If you want to DM me, I'll tell you them, but I don't want to blast it on here um, just because I have no affiliation with any of them. And if this airs tomorrow and one of them changes from being awesome to terrible, which happened last year to me, that's why I'm no longer with the bank that I used to love and tell everybody about, then interest rates fell. They did not keep up with it when they started to rise again. They dropped with them. And then when interest rates started to rise again, they were one of the online only banks that my interest rate is still virtually, I think it's 0.6%. And all the others that are like above four now. And so I left them. So I don't want to give a name because it literally, if two months from now, the ones I'm using, I might feel are disfavorable. So I don't want to give you advice. And then you listen to this six months from now and I'm already long gone from that bank. Um, but that being said, the two monthly, I recommend them being checking accounts because it really won't matter the yield, the other ones, and you might have significantly high expense, uh, expenses on an annualized basis. So in your specific account, maybe you have 60, 70, 800 grand sitting there because that's you, you have a very successful business and that's what your expenses are legit. That's why for you more than anybody, that percentage is going to matter that you don't want just sit, sitting in dead cash in, in a checking account. So again, you would label those two accounts. Now the monthly ones are easy because they're money in money out. Like you're dropping the money in and then on the fixed side, it's just getting debited out, debited out, debited out on the variable side. For the most part, you're probably using that for credit cards and stuff. So it's staying fairly flat. Then you swipe the credit card or sorry, you pay off the credit card and then you replenish it in the next month. So those are easy to be checking accounts. And so you would just label them the in that hypothetical 4,000. On the fixed side, you wanna have some, basically two numbers that are a reminder to you. The annual number, which is the important one, 12,000 in this scenario, and then your homework, your monthly homework of 1,000. So I would label it however it lets you maybe say, 1,000 slash 12,000. So you can quickly go on when you're doing your billing for your your company and know like, all right, I just moved $10,000 into my personal bank account or personal bank. How does that divvy out again? And you see like 4,000, 4,000. And then the third one says 1,000, 12,000. So it's pretty easy for you to realize, at least in my opinion, it'd be pretty easy for you to realize the bigger number is your annualized number. And then you do the same thing with the fourth account. Same thing, you would nickname it 1,000, 12,000. So you know how to quickly transfer these. Now let's talk about some logistics. I do recommend, if possible, having these four accounts at the same bank. Because this is a, uh, you're adding a little bit of complexity to your life because now you have four checking, or four, sorry, four bank accounts. I don't recommend you add the complexity of having those two annual or non-monthly accounts at a different bank because there's going to be plenty of times when you're like within the monthly cycle and one of those annual bills comes up and you might be asking yourself, well, how do I pay it? Or maybe it's linked. Like maybe they only take a debit card from your checking account. So maybe it's linked to that fixed account. You don't want the headache of having to wait a business day in case you forgot something. You want to be able to go onto your account and instantaneously transfer it. So that's where I want I think sometimes we get tripped up because like, oh God, I have to like wait to move the money from my annual 
or do I keep this linked to my credit card? And that all gets alleviated if you just think of the the non-monthly accounts or the annualized accounts as it's just pooling money from a visual perspective because you don't want all of, in my opinion, you don't want all that money sitting in your monthly fixed bank account because, I'm trying to think how to frame it, because if that money starts to pool, I don't want you to accidentally think that that money that you're getting ahead because that money is already spoken for. I think that's one of the main things that that I like about the the annual accounts because your monthly fix could be getting close to zero and you don't have to panic because you know that money's about to roll over in a in a month you're going to pay yourself another 4000 again in this hypothetical whereas if you keep pulling the annual fixed it can potentially get confusing because you'll look at it and see like maybe you'll see like 7 or 8 grand in it and you think you're doing pretty good but you forgot that if bill is coming for your property taxes plus your four and you only got eight in there. So you're like, well, and you don't realize you're actually about to go negative. Whereas when you are looking at your annualized number, you see that it's like got 4,000 in it and you have to make sure you plan ahead. Cause I'll, I will say the one challenge with this system is getting it started because I purposely use the hypothetical of all your big expenses come in December. Because then this system works really well because you're dropping your $1,000 in for 12 months before the big ones hit. This gets a little challenging if you, let's say you hypothetically started this in October and all you did was drop two grand into the each of the annualized ones and then Christmas hit. So getting this process rolling is a little bit harder because in the example of the 12,000, as a number, if you're dropping the money in and all of a sudden you look out and you're like, oh, I'm a, I have like $11,000 in this account. I'm, now you really aren't stressed at all because you know once those hit, because realistically they don't hit all at once. You might have a $4,000 one. Now you went from 11 to seven. And so it's not a big deal because you know you're about to drop it back to, to eight and then to nine and then the next one hits. So it's a revolving door. So I'm not trying to say this is like a perfect clockwork of money in, money out. But in the beginning, you do need to be mindful of when those non-monthly expenses hit. Because if you're going to start this today, when you're listening to this, but your big one comes in February, well, you wouldn't necessarily be prepared using this system. But if you have that money set aside, come February of the following year, you're ready, baby. Cause you've been moving that thousand dollars every single month. And then the bigger ones don't matter. And then what's more important about all of this is you can quickly make decisions fast. When you log into your banking app, you see like at the beginning of the month, you dropped your 4,000, you dropped your 4,000, you dropped your one, you dropped your one. And then all of a sudden you look at the bottom two, they've got 10, $12,000 in it, maybe more at this point, whatever the case may be or even in the variable monthly one, what you're gonna find is that some months, maybe after, who knows, maybe uh, maybe you were sick, I, don't know, I can't think of a good example, and you only spent $2,000 from your four. Well, the next month you roll another four in because that's, your, that's the whole point, you're getting ahead of it. Now you have 6,000. At the end of the next month, if you've only done your uh, 4,000 expenditures, you have another 2000 left over. If that happens again, at some point you're going to have a surplus 
And then you have two choices. One, you can leave it in there because you're like, you know, I do have an, I do, I am a business owner. So who knows? Like maybe, maybe next month, all I have is 3000 to roll in. So I'm glad I'll have that cushion. And then, or maybe it's like worse. You're like, I only have 2000. I'm glad I left the 2000 in there. Or this will build up enough. And that will be money that you can either drop it into the annual bucket and be like, you know what? I'm going to take a vacation with this money. Or you're going to roll it into your brokerage account or contribute to a Roth IRA at the end of the year. Whatever it is, that will make it very quick to make decisions because you'll see a surpluses going. And again, this is outside of the idea that outside of this $10,000 a month in this hypothetical, you're also allocating towards HSAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, and all that. So this is an extra surplus that's either going to be there to help you with the uneven cash flows that might be on the lower end as a buffer, or it's going to, if it gets, the buffer gets big enough, you're like, you know what? I'm going to roll this into, you know, I'm going to take this $10,000 and roll it in my brokerage account. I'm going to take this $10,000. I'm going to put it towards a down payment next year on an investment property, whatever it is, but it makes it very quickly for you to make those sort of executive decisions because you're accounting for the future that always having to stop and think you sit down one time and project out those big uneven cash flows. And once you get this thing going, you're going to forget stuff. But when that big one comes or you remember it, like maybe you get an email saying, Hey, like we're going to debit this thing in 30 days or whatever. Boom. You put it on your budget and then you'll next year you won't have that mistake again. So this isn't going to take away all your problems at once. But once you get in the habit of the system, you're going to be pretty good at, uh, streamlining things in the future. So now that we have our budget, let's talk about the last piece of the puzzle, the emergency fund. So again, this is where some of those on other uneven cash flow things become super helpful because if things really get tight in your business and we've exhausted the annual bucket and uh, both annual buckets, I should say, then you start to dip into the emergency fund, which hopefully you try to avoid, but that's obviously a topic of conversation a lot currently as I'm recording this because of the recessionary fears. Like I'm not going to get into politics, but we're arguably already in one, but a lot of people that I respect their opinion feel things could get worse. So this might be a, a topic that's on top of your mind. So the emergency fund, first of all, for us entrepreneurs, you should have an emergency fund in your business that is separate from your personal. So you should have two emergency funds and they're based on the expenses. So, as a rule of thumb, I, I think you should have six months of emergency funding in in cash or cash equivalents, and that's personal and business. So in theory, you're at 12 months, but the expenses of your business are going to be different than your expenses in your personal life. So you want to make sure you're doing these calculations independently. So I'm not going to talk about the business. like That's pretty straightforward. You can look at your expenses multi on a monthly basis, multiply it by six. Like, all right. On the personal side, I recommend you do something very similar, but just know this. So in this hypothetical, we said $10,000. So it'd be very easy to say, all right, well, that's 60 grand. But what if you're saying, well, shit, I, I only have 40 and now I'm stressed out because you told me I should have six and I only have four. Two things you should know. One, six is a good rule of thumb, but it depends on your household situation. For example, if your spouse has a very good stable income 
that's uncorrelated to your job as a fitness entrepreneur, then maybe six isn't necessarily as important. If your spouse is in the same space as you, like if they're also in fitness or they're an entrepreneur in a different industry, but they're just as susceptible to high unemployment hurting their business, like if their customers would also be the ones that might stop doing training if uh, they lose their job, then you guys do want to be around six or higher. But if your spouse is a tenured teacher, for example, maybe you're not, not as worried about losing their job or uh, whatever the case may be. And anyone who has a job that they're just very comfortable with it being pretty stable income, maybe you guys can be closer to the three. Um, and if you have an extremely high or extremely low tolerance or risk and you just want to sleep at night like a baby without stress, then maybe you need 12 months of emergency fund for personal and business. So the rule of thumb is six, but those are the things you need to consider if you should be if you want to be on the lower end of that six, closer to three, or if you want to be on the higher end, like around 12. But on the personal side, just know that getting back to that other hypothetical where you're like, I do want six, Pat, but I don't have 60K in, in my savings account right now. I only have 40. What's important to understand about emergency funds is it's not, you're not including everything. Like I like the rule of thumb is like, we want to do our best to maintain our lifestyle because we want to, you have to reassess when the market, like whatever happens to you happens. But as a rule of thumb, you can exclude certain things because if money gets tight, there's certain things in your life that are not obligations. Like your vacations will likely dwindle down to maybe zero. Your dining out will likely turn into groceries at a lower cost. Um, depending on your childcare, maybe you have less clients. So you actually, let's let's say you usually work 12 hours a day, but because you're losing clients because unemployment's off the charts, maybe it's very easy for you to only work three or four hours a day. Now, take out the fact that you're probably going to be grinding really hard to try to build the business, keep it going, whatever the case may be. But my point is it might like if you have kids and you're like, well, my childcare expense for daycare is really high. That might be a, an expense that doesn't need to be in your emergency fund because you'll have the time back to be like, well, we'll make it work. I need, I'll, I'll work from home and I won't do X, Y, or Z as much. And I'll save that expense on a monthly basis. Um, same thing, like you're investing in your savings. If you put that into this, this, these categories, that will likely stop when you're in economic hardship, gifting, things like that. So those are all things that in the $10,000 a month hypothetical we discussed, we, if we just multiply that by six, you get to 60K. But the reality is bar, alcohol, restaurants, vacations, gifting, and some potentially parts of childcare because you'll have more time home can be removed from the emergency fund amount. Because that 40K, when you start dropping all of those things off of there, that actually might last you six months because you're starting to really tighten the belt financially. So that's what I wanted to bring up with you guys. Hope that's really helpful as we're starting the new year and you have an opportunity to like just sit down and really break your expenses out. Now, I don't have a link for it, so I wish I had. Um, and maybe I'll 
maybe I'll have to find a way to do this, but I have a budget that puts all this together for you. If you want that, um, email me at info. I wish I didn't think of this ahead of time. So, um, email me info at darbyba.com, which is my last name, D-A-R, be like boy Y and then boy Apple, like business advisors and make this subject. Let's see, what should I make the subject? Um, <laughs> send budget template. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I didn't plan to do this, but I did want to talk about that. I, I spent the holidays revamping the one that I give to clients. So I think it's a lot more user-friendly than what I used to give clients. So I can send this to you. I don't, I'm not going to charge you anything for it. Um, but just email me info at darbyba.com and just write in the subject, send budget template, and I'll reply with that. Um, or I'll have my assistant reply with that. Um, I, I, I really hope it's this in general is helpful. If, if you do, DM me on Instagram if you have more questions. I, I love this stuff. And quite frankly, I think this is the most important part of financial planning because it's just like fitness. Like if you have no clue what you eat and how much of it you eat and you try to lose weight, how much harder is that? Like all the other tactics really don't matter as much if you have no grasp on your nutrition. It's very similar in finance. Like if you have zero idea of the money coming in, where it's going, how like how much of it's going where, like if you have no clue of what those income and expenses are and all the different components of your like cash flow, it's really freaking hard to not just save money or pay off debt, but more importantly, like I'll talk to people that have very good income but they still have stress about spending money because they don't know, even if they make you know, $150,000 a month, they don't truly know if their expenses are like 70 grand or 151,000 a month. They don't know. And that's not including the fact that sometimes taxes are in that question mark as well. So getting these questions answered for yourself is going to make not just saving and investing money easier, but the, the pain of stressing out if you're allowed, quote unquote, allowed to spend this money for your own money. Like the guilt-free spending of money um, is the main reason you need to do this. The same reason, like I started this episode, being able to go to a wedding knowing like, yeah, I'm on a, a diet, but this weekend I'm going to drink, I'm going to eat this, I'm going to do that. Because I know that I'll probably gain, I'll be X number of calories over. Maybe I'll gain this, but by Monday, I'll be back at it, doing my thing, staying within my guardrails, and then be back on track. Like that doesn't stress people out in the fitness industry because you know what you're doing because you have that, that calories in, calories out, fairly dialed for yourself and your clients. In finance, you just need to, spend a little time doing that in the beginning, then the re then it answers the rest of the questions that either you're doing for yourself or if you hired a professional that they're going to answer for you. So as always, I <laughs> intended for this to be a brief episode, but I hope that I did a, a decent job of explaining this to you guys because it's, it's really helpful and it's the tip of the spear for financial planning, getting this under control for yourself 
or when you're working with someone. This, this is always the first piece of the puzzle because they can't help you or you can't help yourself if we have no clue where the money is in your life, where it's coming in, where it's going out. Um, and then the sneak attack of expenses that are obligations that you signed up for, but we forgot when the timing of them was and how much it was going to be for. So like always, please share with a friend if this is helpful or DM me um, at the Pat Darby on Instagram. I'm most active there. It's my TikTok as well, but I'm pretty active on Instagram even though I don't have that many followers, <laughs> that will change soon, I'm sure. But but yeah, do do me a favor because I don't have that many followers, the blessing of it for you listening to this now, it's pretty easy for me to see your DMs. And I, I really do enjoy getting to help people and reply back with some helpful information. So hope this has been helpful. You guys have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.